0: It's great to uh, have you here with us tonight. If you snuck in later in case you missed it before, my name is Chris and we're really excited to have you uh, join us tonight at Beyond. We're actually wrapping up a three part series. So if, you, if you're new uh, or maybe uh, this is your first time here with us at Beyond, the way we like to do things is we like to uh, take an idea or a theme or a concept and unpack it for a number of weeks. And the series that we're wrapping up tonight that we've spent two weeks on and we'll spend tonight on is called Dumb People in the Bible. We've got a little bit of an agenda. It's not a hidden agenda. It's an agenda that we're putting right front and centre. What we want to do with this series is we want to add some value to you. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you don't even believe the Bible is true, we believe that there are certain scenarios and situations that people within the pages of the, the collection of books that we call the Bible find themselves in that we can learn something from, regardless of our faith. And so we want to add some value to you. Uh, And in part one of this series, we looked at the idea that uh, don't let a foolish uh, reaction lead you to act the fool. So don't let the way you react to a certain situation cause you to make a series of decisions that leads you to a place where you're eventually a fool. If you were with us last week, we looked at the idea that wise people, if you want to be truly wise, wise people do what they need to do, not what they want to do. Wise people do what they need to do, not what they want to do. And tonight, I want to set the scene for what we're, we're going to talk about first, and then I want to kind of roadmap out the way we're going to approach it. So to set the scene, we're going to wade into this issue uh, through the through the uh, historical document that probably had the worst marketing strategy of all historical documents. I mean, this, this document was just so... Uh, people who were followers of Jesus wanted to read this document so bad that the guy who wrote it actually named it after himself. One of Jesus' closest followers, Matthew, wrote down the events of Jesus' life and he compiled them together in the document that we now know as Matthew. That's, that's how much people wanted to find out. Matthew didn't even have to give it a cool title. He just called it Matthew and people were all over it. And so Matthew is writing this, uh, writing the, uh, he's talking to eyewitnesses, he's watching the events himself and Matthew writes this. He says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. I can just imagine what Matthew is thinking as he's like talking to people. So could you just say that again? The heavens opened. Yeah, descended like a dove. I've never heard of that before. Are you sure? Are you positive? Yes, okay, well, I bet bet I've heard so many crazy things about him. I'll just put that one down as well. And then in the very next sentence, this is what Matthew writes. And a, vo- a voice sorry, a voice from heaven said, "This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy." And in the very next sentence, this is what he writes, then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wil- uh, by the spirit, into the wilderness, to be tempted there by the devil. And this is one of those sentences that makes me believe that the authors of, um, that the author of Matthew is telling the truth. Because if you were trying to make people believe in Jesus, the Son of God, that that Jesus was God and and all these things, you would not write in one sentence, God loves him, and then in the very next sentence, and then he sent him out in the wilderness to be tempted. In fact, the the way that it's written almost makes me, it's, it's almost like that's actually what happened because that's indicative of our life. And if you think about it, temptation for us doesn't always <clears throat> comes in, in many shapes and sizes, but it doesn't often we don't often go through a season of temptation. In fact, some of us can just start out our day so well and then we get a phone call. Or we get that text message. Or our boss calls us into the office to have a chat. Or all of a sudden something doesn't go quite right in our day that leads us to be tempted to do something that, you know, we know we shouldn't do. And we know it's not beneficial to us. But, but we do it anyway, and the day didn't start out that way, or the week didn't start out that way, or the year didn't start out that way, but we end up being tempted at some point. And if maybe you're sitting here and you're being like, "Ah, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I buy this whole temptation thing, and you know, I'm, not, I'm not really a Christian, that temptation, that seems like such a church word. If you want to know whether temptation is true, you can just do one of two things: Go on a diet or go on a budget. If you want to know that temptation is true, just go on a diet because the second you go on a diet, you start having cravings for things you didn't even know you liked. All of a sudden, fast food joints that you never went to, you need to go there. You know, you need to buy food at the bakery, you don't even go to the bakery. All of a sudden, you had cravings for things you never had cravings for before, you're tempted. Well, What about a budget? If you've ever tried to put a budget in place, maybe you're saving for an overseas holiday, or a mortgage, you want to get a down payment on a mortgage, or maybe you're saving up to buy your first new car. As soon as you say, yeah, this is my budget, this is what I'm sticking to, guaranteed your favorite shop has a 50% sale. And, and you are so tempted to just go in there and just unload all that cash. If you're on a budget, things you didn't know you need, you need. Things you didn't know you need when you're on a budget, you need, I needed that drone. I need. I just needed to take overhead pictures. I needed those lures in Pokemon. I didn't know I needed them, but you know, I need the lures right now. I'm down on my. All of a sudden, temptation starts to take over. I remember for me, uh, when I was in kindergarten at West Chermside Kindergarten, there was there was one temptation above all temptations at this kindergarten. It was a red fire truck. It was my red fire truck. And and this red fire truck, I love this red. Fire, I would play with it every day. I don't actually even know if it was a fire truck. It was just kind of like it, it looked like one of the teachers' husbands had kind of knocked it together. But it was just this red kind of wooden car that had like a latching door and just kind of one panel of timber across for the seat. You know, the, the steering wheel didn't even turn. You had to like move your hands around to make it turn. But I love this red fire truck. And this one day I got, I got particularly um, excitable with this red fire truck because we would all play games or rather I would let people play with the red fire truck with me because I, I like to share. And so this one day I'm sitting there with the red fire truck and we're, we're off to, you know, well it doesn't go anywhere, but we're imagining that we're off to, to, to put this fire out. There's a whole heap of people and I used to love Fireman Sam as a kid and, and if you don't know what Fireman Sam is, you are missing out. You know, 90s kids, <laughs> you need to educate some people here. But Fireman Sam, he always used to hang out the side of the door on the on the fire truck, and of course, this fire truck didn't have a ladder, so I used to I started to try to improvise. So I stood up on the seat, and I was directing people where we needed to go. Then I got real adventurous, and I kind of put my foot up on the door. And then I got really adventurous, and I went to stand up on the door. I didn't close the latch properly that day on the door, and I just fell headfirst towards the ground. And this was in the 90s before risk assessments and all those things happened. And in retrospect, I don't actually know why this was a good idea, but, but this wasn't like on grass. This was on like a paved area just outside the back of our kindergarten. So I, I just face plant these, these tiles, just absolutely face plant these pla- pavers. And my left front tooth took the, uh, the brunt of the blow. I like this chipped tooth. And, and I ended up in the, do- uh, the dentist chair getting my tooth capped. And then the next morning, I went back to kindy. And my mom and a couple of teachers, they sat me down. They said, you know, for your own safety, we don't want you to hurt yourself again. It wasn't fun going to the dentist, was it? No, it wasn't fun. Today, you're still allowed to play with the red fire truck, just, just don't stand on the door. You can direct it. You can do whatever you want to do. Just don't stand on the door. And I got on the red fire truck. And I sat down. And I was like, okay, I won't. I promise I won't stand on the door. I started driving. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just stand up on the seat I stood up on the seat I was like I've I've got this seat thing under control like surely I can just put my put my leg up again put my leg up again I was like I've got this pretty under control that was just a fluke the time I fell off it will never happen again got up on the red fire truck the next day once again forgot to latch the door once again ended up in the dentist chair once again, chipped the exact same tooth. Except this time I chipped the filling off, not the actual tooth. So I guess that's a, that's a win, win there. But I ended up just through a number of decisions, just slowly giving in to temptation. And that's kind of funny. You can laugh at me. I know you're not laughing with me. I'm very much aware you're laughing at me on that situation. But with all temptation in life, what is true is that when we... Are faced with that temptation, there's always more at stake than we think. There is always more at stake than you think and than I think when it comes to temptation. And in the midst of what we're wrestling with, in the midst of the temptation that we're facing, with, we can get so caught up in justifying to ourselves why it's okay. In fact, chances are maybe you have justified something you're tempted to and you try to rationalize why it's okay. Maybe you've said things like, "Well, no one else is going to find out, so, so it's all right." Okay. No, no one. Uh, everybody's doing it, so that that's okay for me to do it, right? It's not hurting anyone, so so it should be fine, right? Or maybe the classic one that you, everyone uses: "This. Well, I've, I've done it once before, so I may as well just keep on going, right? I may as well just keep on doing it. What's what's the harm? And the harm is." we unintentionally begin to undermine our future if we're not careful. And if we don't begin to address the way we think about temptation and the way we respond to temptation, you and I will unintentionally undermine our future. And so Matthew, what he does is in this document, he sets us up to look at Jesus's temptation. And this, if you're going to look at it, this is kind of the, if you look at it from the outside, it's like the super heavyweight, Rocky Balboa, Apollo Creed, like just match of the old, of, of the Bible. It is Jesus going toe-to-toe with the devil. The, the son of God going against the forces of darkness. This is kind of what every main like superhero movie is based on. And from the outside, we look in and we're like, man, how could the devil be so dumb as to tempt Jesus? Like it's God. What, is, what does the devil have to give... God, that God couldn't give himself. But as we're going to find, the, the devil is probably not so much a dumb person in the Bible, but actually an incredibly smart person in the Bible. And if we're not smart with how we understand temptation, we can undermine our future. So what I want to do is I want to show you, I want to, before we jump in, I want to give you the three main ways that the devil tempts Jesus. And then I want to go into the text and show you and, and you can start to pick it up. The three main ways that the devil tempts Jesus are ways that if you've ever been tempted in an area in your life, you can trace that temptation back and it will fit in one of these three categories. The first category is that you want to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. That's the first one. The second one is to leverage God for your own needs. Christians are great at this. Leverage God for my own needs. Sure, I need God to do this for me. We Leverage God for our needs, not for God's needs. And then the last one is to do the right thing in the wrong way, to do the right thing in the wrong way. And so what I want you to do, you can think about these as you go through which one maybe you fall into the most, but what we're going to learn and what we're going to discover tonight is that there is so much more at stake than we realize in the way that we respond to temptation. So let's get into it. Uh, you can turn to your Bibles, you can pull out your smartphones, uh, or you can, uh, this is the opportunity to check Facebook. Um, but in, in Matthew 4, 2, it says this, uh, for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he became very hungry. Well, duh. This is after he's been let out into the wilderness, he's hungry, I'm hungry after four hours, like, I think this is an understatement. And then it says this, during that time, the devil came. Think about this, this is really important to understand the point at which Jesus is tempted. Because Jesus is not tempted after he's had like 12 hours of sleep and he's got up and he's had a good breakfast and he's got his morning cup of coffee and he's just on top of the world. Because that's not when you and I are tempted. You and I are tempted when we're weak and when we're vulnerable and when things haven't been going our way. And this is the same way that Jesus is tempted, when he's weak, when he's vulnerable and when he's exposed. And so the devil um, says this to him. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And if you'll let me just for a second, I just want to nerd out. I just want to nerd out for 30 seconds. It'll make sense uh, once I'm done, I promise. That, That little highlighted phrase, if you are the son of God. The guy who wrote this document, Matthew, he would have originally written in Greek. And there's four if, then, or if you are phrases in the Greek language. There's four of them. And the one that Matthew uses throughout this part that we're looking at tonight can be better translated to the English word, because. In other words, what the devil has said to Jesus is, because you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread, which is so important because we often miss this. Because Jesus isn't tempted to prove who he is. He's tempted because of who he is. Jesus isn't tempted to prove that he's the Son of God. The devil says, "I, I know that you're the Son of God. You know that you're the son of God, and now I'm going to tempt you because of who you are. In fact, you've probably experienced this in your life. I mean, if if you've ever experienced peer pressure, whether that came at school, or whether that came in the workplace, or whether that came in a relationship or in your family, if you've ever experienced peer pressure, people don't try and peer pressure you to be who you are. People try and peer pressure you to be something that you're not. In other words, because of who you are, we want to pressure this person to be something that they're not. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is not being tempted to be who he is. He's being tempted to be something other than who he is. And at the heart of this temptation is the desire for Jesus to meet a legitimate need. He's hungry in an illegitimate way. And this is how Jesus responds. Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, I trust that my heavenly father knows best for me. I trust that my heavenly father loves me, that he cares for me. And even though I could turn these stones into bread, and even though I could meet my legitimate need, If I did it, I wouldn't be trusting God and I would be meeting that need in an illegitimate way. And so then the the, the devil goes, all right, round two, let's go. Round two, fight. And the devil took him up to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God or because you are the son of God, jump off. Now, don't, don't imagine that, that they've like magically teleported to the, to the top of the holy city. Uh, what, what's really happened here is, is the devil is uh, kind of, they're kind of having a discussion or maybe in the mind's eye. We don't exactly know. They, they, they haven't physically gone to the top of this temple. They, 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 there's, there's not a real place in Jerusalem that would have existed at this time. This is kind of them having a discussion saying, picture this. Imagine this, you're at the top of the temple. And what I want you to do, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, and now the devil's quoting some of the scriptures Jesus knew so well back to him. The scriptures say, if you jump off, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with your hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. He's saying, don't you trust God? Now, God said that if you jump off, he'll he'll protect you. He'll look after you. Are you not going to jump off because you don't trust him? And Jesus' response, it's great, he says, the scriptures also say, here, let me answer a scripture with another scripture. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. In other words, God has said that he would do this for me and I trust him. But what am I actually achieving by jumping off the temple? What am I ach- I'm leveraging God for my own purpose. If I were to jump off the temple, I would be leveraging God to make it okay in my mind that, that I know that God's got me instead of actually just trusting him what purpose would it serve for me to jump off and for god to save me it wouldn't serve a purpose i'd be leveraging god for my own purposes and then it starts to ramp up this is the last this is the final temptation this is this is the big one next the devil took him up to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory there's no mountain that would have shown them all the kingdoms again this is like a a conceptual thing in the mind and the devil shows it to him and he says i'll give it all to you i will give it all to you but but there's a condition i'll give you all these kings in the world but the condition is you you have to kneel down and worship me now, from the outside looking in, that kind of seems stupid because really what the devil has done is got taken Jesus up, or, you know, he said, you know, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You know the kingdoms you created? You know the kingdoms you built? I'll give them all to you. Why? How can you do that? It's almost like, yeah, Jesus created it. Now I'll give them back to you. You can't give them to me. I made them. They're mine. But the thing that we miss, and the thing that we, we sometimes uh, tend to miss if we just skim over it, is that at that day and age, Jesus was. there was was rumors spreading through the culture that this Jesus guy was going to be the Messiah. This Jesus guy was going to bring something brand new. And for the Messiah, that word in that culture meant that with it, people had a conception of what Jesus was about to do. So Jesus, in their minds, was going to bring about a political revolution, a religious revolution, a nationalistic Jewish movement. And the devil says to Jesus, One day, you're going to get all this anyway, if you really are the Messiah. I know that you're the Messiah. One day, this is all going to be yours. You can have it right now, if you bow down and worship me. If you take a shortcut, you can get what you were going to get anyway. And Jesus' response, he says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him. Pretty blunt, pretty straight to the point. And then he goes on, and he says this, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. In other words, Jesus' response to this situation is not contingent on the temptation. Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm not responding right now to this temptation, I'm responding to something in the future. Because in the future I will have this, but if I respond to this temptation right now, I will have gotten the right thing in the wrong and maybe you're sitting here and you're like okay so there's these three temptations what does that have to do for me what is that how does that apply to my life and and if you take nothing away i want you to take this one thing away because after jesus says it says the devil went away and this is the big point how you respond to temptation positions you to point towards your future when Jesus was experiencing those three temptations, he was, not exper- he was not responding in the heat of the moment to everything that was going around. He had his eyes firmly fixed on the future. Jesus didn't succumb to temptation not because he couldn't, not because, you know, not because he wasn't tempted, but because he had his eyes fixed on the future. And he knew that if I respond to this temptation right now, if I give in to this temptation, then I forfeit the right to go and hang on a cross. And if I forfeit that, then the sins of humanity will not be paid. And forever people will think that they have to earn their way to God. So Jesus Jesus responds, yes, he's God, but he's also human, he's tempted the same way that we are. And he responds not because he wasn't tempted, but because his eyes are firmly fixed on the future that he is responding to. See, you and I in our lives, we are never static we are always moving and we are either moving in the direction that we want to be heading in or the direction that we don't want to be heading in. And the way that we respond to temptation moves us from a direction we want to be heading and can point us in a direction that we do not want to go down. So the question I have for you as we begin to land this plane tonight is where are your responses pointing you towards? In those areas of your life where you face temptation, whatever that temptation may be, whether you think it's big, whether you think it's small, where are your responses pointing you towards? Because we have the potential just to miss how important responding and the way we respond to temptation can be. And for some of you tonight... Maybe you're sitting here and maybe I just want you to think in these last couple of minutes how your life would have been different if you had responded to temptation differently. How would your financial situation have been different if you had responded in light of your future, not in light of the moment? How would your relationships, maybe with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife or, or your family, how would they have looked different if you had responded to your, where you wanted your future to, hand, uh, to, to look, not towards how you wanted to respond in the moment? How would your faith look differently if you had responded to the future, not the moment? Because there are some of you here tonight who maybe maybe for whatever reason, you walked away from the faith and you walked away from church. Maybe you're just starting to come back or maybe you've been back for a while and there was a period of time where you walked away and the church didn't do anything to you. No one one said anything to you and and trust me, there's a lot of people, You there's a lot of churches that have done wrong and done these things, but you weren't one of those people. In fact, you, you didn't really have anything against the church, but all of a sudden, through the series of decisions that you made, you woke up one day and for you, church, this wasn't important anymore. Jesus just wasn't at the center of your life anymore and you didn't know why. And you couldn't figure out why he was once so important. And the reason is, is because you didn't realize what was at stake when you were responding to temptation. And so over time, what you did is you pointed yourself And you positioned yourself and you began to walk towards a a different future. And that was a future without Jesus at the center of your life. And you couldn't figure out when you woke up this day why everything was different and why the things you used to do didn't bother you anymore. And it all had to do with the way that you responded to temptation. But the good news for you if you're in that boat and the good news for me is your story doesn't have to finish that way you have the opportunity tonight to actually change and point towards and live your life in a way that points towards your future. And this is the last thing I'm going to say and then we're going, to, we're going to throw back to the band. We're going to move into communion. We have this thing, we're going to finish, we have this thing at Beyond, it's called Full Monday because we believe that there is no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't impact you, if it's not helpful for you for the rest of the week, regardless of whether you're a Christian or, or whether you believe God's made up. We want to add some value to you. And so this week, I've got two full Mondays. If you're a follower of Jesus, the first one is for you. It's a non-negotiable. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to join a connect group. At the back of the connect desk, you, you can go and talk to one of our guys and they'll give you details about when our connect groups meet. I want you to join a connect group. And the reason is, is because we cannot respond to temptation alone. We cannot respond to temptation alone for the duration of our lives. We need people around us who want the same future for us that we want and are willing to hold us accountable, are willing to ask the hard questions and are willing to challenge some of our motives and say, hey, the way you're responding right now, is that going to set you up for the future that you want? Because we can't always do that on our own. That's my challenge. Get plugged in with some people who want the same future that you want. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're thinking, oh, I definitely don't want to join a connect group because I don't want anything to do with this Jesus thing. Then this, the next one is for you. And it'll sound weird when I say it, um, but just bear with me. I'll I'll help you understand why. For the next seven days, just the next seven days, one week, when you are tempted and you feel it, you, you know, you're, you're tempted to, to step out and do whatever it is, you know, whether it's spend money or, or whether it's, you know, to look at an image on a screen or whatever it is. I want you to say this. Temptation, you will not steal my future. You will not rob me of my faith. And maybe you're like, what? why would I say that? Seems weird. Because in the heat of that moment, when you're experiencing temptation, the future just seems to fade away and we just get consumed with, well, it's okay. It feels good. I may as well do it. And I want you to know what you are giving up if you respond to that temptation. I want you to remind yourself where you're positioning yourself to point towards if you respond in the way you do. Because whether you're a Christian or not, we want what's best for you at Beyond. And we want to add some value to you, not because Jesus told us to, but just because we love you. And because the the one thing that defines followers of Jesus is their love for other people. And because we love you and we don't want you to go down a future that you don't want to go down. So ask yourself this question. Oh, sorry, say this to yourself. Temptation you will not steal my future. You will not rob me of my faith. Where are your responses tonight and up until this point been leading you to? Have they been pointing you to a place that you don't want to go? Because how you respond to temptation positions you to point towards your future. Change the course of your future if it's not moving in a place that you don't want to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that your words were preserved in history, that we were able to go back and read what Matthew wrote. We were able to see the way that Jesus responded to temptation. And so often we can just get caught up and we can just defer and we can say, well, he's God or, or you know, he, there was no way he could have been tempted. And we forget that he's human just like us as well. And the reason he withstood temptation is because his eyes were firmly fixed on his future. His eyes were firmly fixed on what his heavenly father had called him to focus on. And so Lord, we pray tonight that anyone here who is maybe positioning themselves in a place that they don't, want to be, uh, they, don't want, they don't want their future to go. Lord, we ask that you would move in them. Help them to have some of those hard conversations, to get in a connect group, to get alongside people who are willing to support them and to journey with them so that they can change the course of their life, so that they can move towards a future that's where they want to be. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.